Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, where we discuss the ideas, people, and events that have made America what it is today. We believe that by understanding our history and our principles, we can better live up to the promise of the American founding and preserve our ongoing experiment in self-government. Welcome to The American Idea. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of The American Idea. Today, we're honored to be joined by Justice Sharon Kennedy of the Ohio Supreme Court, talking today about restoring the rule of law in our republic, the importance of the rule of law. Are we losing the rule of law, and how can we keep the rule of law in this country? Justice Kennedy, thanks for joining us today. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for having me here at Ashland University and asking me to do the Constitutional Day speech. I am seriously honored at the request. I think my remarks today really call for citizens to take an active role in what happens in our judicial system. So in really laying forth that separation of powers, which is shockingly that educational knowledge is lost on a great number of Americans right. today. That after talking about the separation of powers, of really talking about what is it that the founders believed that the role of a judge should be? And really cabining their power to use reason and judgment, as yeah. Federalist Paper 78 said. But then I also talk about three examples of when, if the rule of loss, rule of law is lost. Yeah. I never believe it's lost. It's never totally lost. Right. I hope. But if the rule of loss, uh, rule of law is tested then there is an avenue for the rule of law to be restored to what the General Assembly intended or to the pure meaning of a constitution. So I give three examples of real court cases from the Supreme Court of Ohio where the rule of law when tested, the General Assembly uh, amended a statute to fix what it saw a conflict mm -hmm. in a case. I give you one constitutional case where the court itself, within a matter of days, really reverses itself with the change vote of one justice to restore and write the, the Ohio Constitution. And then the other one is really the opportunity of citizens to have a voice in what I say when the rule of law is tested to restore it. And we're going to talk about how the power of citizens to them. Fascinating. So, you know, that's an interesting idea. I think a lot of people out there, citizens, students who are taught at school sometimes, that it's the job of the courts to tell us what the Constitution means, as though it's only the courts who have a role in interpreting the Constitution or in upholding the rule of law. And the way you're talking about it almost sounds like it's not dictation from the court to the people, but a, almost like a conversation between, the, the, you know, for example, the Ohio Supreme Court and the General Assembly and the people of Ohio. Is that how you think about it? It is. I look at writing an opinion to being a conversation with the citizens of Ohio. Mm. I try to use language that is plain, ordinary, take out the legal ease, make it as simple as possible so that anyone can pick it up and read it and judge for themselves. In Ohio, unlike other states, citizenship requires an engagement from the people of Ohio, especially when it comes to their courts. 
because it's not this aloof third branch of government like many treat it. It is citizen engagement to understand what judges do. Where do you get your understanding of a judicial opinion? Do you get it from social media? Do you get it from the headlines of a newspaper? Do you consider multiple social outlets before you decide what that really means? Or have you ever sat down and read as a result of controversy in the newspapers or media, mm. social media, do you really ever sit down and read the opinion and judge for yourself? Because to me, that citizen engagement is necessary. It, we've been voting for judges since 1851. What a steward of, of judgeships. And in my remarks, I actually talk about one of the orators at the 1851 constitutional debate in Ohio. And he was really amazing because he could really spotlight to the other members of the committee why they should take this grand step, why Ohioans should vote and elect judges as opposed to the General Assembly appointing for a six-year term. When everything ebbed and flowed between political hands, mm -hmm. judges weren't reappointed. The judicial system was on the rocks of not hearing cases and controversies by the time of 1851 as well as Ohio being bankrupt, because we didn't stop them from using our treasure as taxpayers to fund liens uh. for loans. So these debates, which I've read, they're not really big. I, they're inspiring to me, the conversation that they were having about good citizenship. The faith in the people of the state of Ohio to understand what makes a good judge and to be able to vote that way yeah. in an election. It's really pretty remarkable. Uh, you've traveled around the state. You've talked to a lot of Ohioans, a, a lot of public officials, but a lot of citizens. I mean, it's an amazing faith in the people of Ohio. Uh, you've traveled now all around Ohio, all 88 counties of Ohio, engaging not just with public officials, but with ordinary Ohio citizens, the folks who have a role in selecting who our judges and justices are. What's your sense in meeting those Ohioans about their understanding of the courts and of the importance of the rule of law? I think as I travel Ohio, and I've been on the court since December 7th of 2012, so I was actually campaigning all of 2011. And when you engage in a campaign, it's not only, they wanna know not only who you are as a person, but what is your philosophy? Because the voters that I meet, they're very specific at what they're looking for. They believe that judges say what the law says, not what the law should be. Okay. They're very clear that judicial opinions should be based on the Constitution, not personal or political views. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in those forums, they will ask very pointed questions about what is your judicial philosophy. And for them, what they're looking for is that what I say faith that the separation of powers continues. For many of the voters that I speak to, and maybe they're more engaged because they're coming to a political forum to meet candidates, but for them, they really truly believe in the separation of powers is what is saving the Republic. That as long as the General Assembly or Congress respects their role, mm -hmm. and they are not trying to usurp the authority of the executive branch or the judicial branch, and the executive branch respects its role and is not trying to usurp either of the powers of the legislative or the judicial branch. Sure.
but clearly for them, they can see the power of the court. Right. So one of the things that they talk about is how can you stop a court if they're actually engaging in overreach? And my response to citizens is you can't. In Ohio, you have the ability to vote, and that really goes back to the grand debate in 1851, where he talks about Mr. Robertson of Fairfield County, talks about, we've understood the power of democracy, and we understand that we have the ability to hold our elected leaders accountable to us. So we should hold judges accountable to us. Really? That citizen or call to action that I do at the end of my remarks is really about getting off the sidelines. If there is a case that is controversial, always in the news, then you should go pull up the opinion and read it yourself. A perfect example, I was in a weekend in Medina County, and I kept track of all of the non-lawyers over two days that told me that they had read one of the seven redistricting cases. Wow. And there were 20. Because they said to me, Sherrod, I just want to know what's going on. Right. I mean, you read about this. This is a big deal. I just wanted to try and understand what they were talking about because you really couldn't appreciate what the two sides were talking about. And I'm so grateful that they had done that. Yeah. And it really warmed my heart that someone is really out there, thoughtful, thinking about what judges do. Yeah. And to have them say, thank you for writing what you've written. Uh, most of them had read the opinion where I gave them a flow chart of what I think Article 11 of the Ohio Constitution does. That, that flow chart's become a little bit famous, in fact. It has. It has. <laughs> um, I've gotten many kudos for it. But also, diagramming a sentence. Often the General Assembly, when writing something, it's not very clear. They tend to be very long sentences with a lot of punctuation. But when you can diagram a sentence and really show someone charting out what the subject of that provision really is, you can really explain to them in some pretty concrete, detailed um, language why you believe what you believe and show them why you believe it. And to me, that's what they need to do. That citizen engagement, that call to action that I gave at the end of my speech is where I'm really hoping inspires and oh, That's very inspiring to hear that that's been your engagement with the citizens of Ohio over the course of, of your time. Um, and, you know, it makes me wonder, you you started off uh, as a police officer. Yes. In, in the executive branch, and now you're a judge. Um, those are different things, of course, um, different kinds of activities, exercising different kinds of power. Now that you're, you've been a judge and a justice of the court for a while, what quality do you think is most important in a judge? Is there one or are there several that you've found as a judge that it's just been really important for you to be the kind of justice that you've been? I think critically, you must be an individual who is disciplined. And I say that word first because discipline is required by the separation of powers. Yeah, You can yeah. see what the General Assembly has done in the statute, but you do not have the power to add words, erase words, or change it, even in a great state of statesmanship, even in a great state of saying, clearly this is not what they could have meant, and I can do this better, you really need that discipline to say, I am not going to meddle. I am going to say what the law says, and then I'm going to rely on the General Assembly to go back and fix the language and or pivot, 
change, make a new direction. I think that discipline and faithfulness to your duty and obligation, it's really surprising to me that the same oath I took as a law enforcement officer was the same oath I took as a lawyer, the same oath I took as a judge and justice, and that is fidelity to the United States Constitution, the Constitution of the state of Ohio, and the laws of this great state. Mm -hmm. And while each of those roles fundamentally did something different, law enforcement, you're enforcing the law. You're protecting citizens in the community. But when I went into becoming a lawyer, I served the needs of families and the less fortunate. I actually did represent criminal defendants and juvenile delinquents in criminal proceedings. Mm. I think that my role in law enforcement made me a much more insightful lawyer mm. to aid them in that call. And you take all of those skills when becoming a trial court judge. I think one of the greatest things a judge and a skill set, or maybe it's a quality, is compassion. Mm. So while you're disciplined, you have to have compassion. Yeah. So in private practice, I spend a lot of my personal time working with juvenile court on life skills programs and meeting with young girls in the detention facility, trying to help them see that this path they were on is not the life that right. God had chosen for them, mm -hmm. and that they could change at any time they decided to change their mind. Yeah. When you step into the trial court, you are just dealing with a lot more people. And at the time, part of it was during the economic downturn, and through no fault of a lot of individuals, they lost their jobs. And yes, as a trial court judge, you could hand out that entry every Friday and say, go find a job. But it wasn't really possible given the economic situation we were in. Partnering, being a good collaborator, and partnering with Jobs and Family Services, I built that non-support program to help break down the barriers and hurdles for individuals to help them find employment. Sometimes it was e as easy as helping them get a car fixed. Sometimes they needed workforce development and they need someone to help them with that resume or doing online. And we had a workforce development um, shelter and or what I call the big center that people could go to and get help. But I was also dealing with individuals who are living a life renewed. They were formerly incarcerated. And there weren't a lot of jobs then. But finding a partner in Hamilton County that specifically helped the formerly incarcerated find employment, that's the compassion. You have to look beyond, this is my job, right? The statute says I do X. But really, as someone who's actually witnessing what's happening in the economy and all these men and women, they just needed a little help. Right. And I think you bring that to being a justice. So in my off time, I really spend a lot of time on lean forward, my initiative for AMP, advancing the treatment for veterans. Battle. We have the sixth largest veterans population in the United States. We have spent 22 years at war in Iraq and Afghanistan. They have served multiple tours of duty, whether they're in the regular forces, the National Guard. If they're in a specialty force, a Navy SEAL, a Ranger, they were deployed more than anyone else in special missions. Mm -hmm. Fewer and fewer returns them. It takes a toll. Yeah, so they're dealing with dual diagnosis issues of substance abuse because they're treating themselves post-traumatic stress, they're going to end up in my system. They're going to be justice involved is what we call them. So when we find them, we're linking them to treatment, specifically designed through the VA to help them overcome the invisible wounds of war. And it's such a great partnership because once you start talking about it, sheriffs are involved, probation officers are involved, 
parole officers. I've trained um, through all levels of the criminal justice system about those treatment options and judges. Well, that is a terrific initiative. It's been fantastic. Very impressive. Um, you know, as a justice, you're out in the public campaigning, obviously, and, and meeting with citizens that you were talking about. But behind the scenes, I think some people think that courts and especially Supreme Courts, whether that's the U.S. Supreme Court or the Ohio Supreme Court, are kind of a mystery as to how they work. It's not like the General Assembly where you can just go and watch them deliberate and debate and argue or uh, see the, the, the governor's remarks in the newspaper. Um, judges operate a little bit differently. Courts operate a little bit differently. Can you just, for our listeners, take us behind the scenes of the Ohio Supreme Court and how it operates? Well, that is the number one question I am asked around with Ohio. So what you publicly see is you're welcome. It's your building. It's a beautiful building. But you have the ability to come and watch oral arguments on our website you can actually see the briefing materials the public information office gives you a synopsis of what the case is and then you can actually sign up so that when that decision is released you get a copy of it so you can follow the public aspect uh -huh. but behind the scenes what you see before we come to the bench at nine o'clock in the morning for oral argument day there's a lot of work that goes into every case right we truly operate from three boxes one, we have jurisdictionals. Those are individuals who are trying to meet the constitutional commandment of a matter of great general or public importance. We don't have to take every case that we are asked to take, just like the U.S. Supreme Court. So in that box are all these what we call discretionary appeals. So as I read all of those, and I'll read about 1,200, 1,300 a year, wow. I am looking for what meets the commandment of the Ohio Constitution as a, as a matter of great general or public importance. If it's really just error correction or the, re the result is only going to affect the litigants, I'm probably not going to vote to bring it in. Yeah. I'm going to vote to bring it in when it affects all of us mm -hmm. in Ohio. So that's one thing. You're also going to vote to bring in a certified conflict from appellate courts, so we have 12. But what happens if the 12th district says the law means X and the second district says that the law means Y? Ah, right. So we're going to bring that in and we're going to settle that conflict if we believe it's a true conflict. We can also take cases from a federal court. This is something that most people say, how is this even possible? Right, right. So the federal court will have a case sitting in front of them and they're going to apply Ohio law. But the Ohio Supreme Court has never passed upon that issue. So they will send us a federal question of law. It's called a certified question from the federal courts. Mm. And they're going to say, what does this really mean? And how is it applied? And we'll answer that and send it back. So those are the kinds of questions. We also have one box that we're required to hear. It's jurisdiction. So the Ohio Constitution, if you get to Article 4 and you look at um, Section 2, you're going to see all the great writs that we're required to actually rule upon. So we actually will vote on all of those. Mm. And then that third box is what I call the merit briefs. So when we have taken that case in from the discretionary box, it then falls into a merit box. Now we're waiting for all the briefing from the lawyers, which your listeners, viewers can actually go and pull the briefing materials online from the website, read them in advance of oral arguments. And then you get to see the oral arguments. But then behind the scenes afterwards, we're going to go to a conference room just like this. 
we are going to vote on what we believe the correct ruling of the law is. And then I'm literally going to take out a leather bottle with seven pills inside. Whoever's in the majority is going in that bottle. And I'm going to pull pour that out into Justice DeWine's hand. And he's going to announce who's right. Wild. It's called Kelly Cool. <laughs> Never heard of it until I went to the Supreme Court of Ohio. Fascinating. What a fascinating look at the uh, Ohio Supreme Court, the important role of the courts uh, more broadly in upholding the rule of law, which is so central to our republic and to our state of Ohio. Justice Sherry Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Jack. Thank you for listening to this episode of The American Idea. If you enjoyed this episode, Remember to subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. If you want to learn more or get involved in Ashbrook's vital work, visit our website, ashbrook.org.